Hello, everyone. Not surprising after being gone for a little while. Some things didn't work out. I'm really not sure what, though. I had everything set up, but my headset just didn't choose to turn on for like 15 seconds. I didn't even change anything, and it finally connected. So I apologize about that. We do have a surprise host coming in today. Misty Folds will be joining us from iEnergy Works. She's one of the content creators in Collectively Rewilding, and she'll be talking about what she does and a little bit about why she does it. And let me just let her know that the technical difficulties there, again, I'm not sure why, should have worked just fine, but my headset just would not connect. So I'll have to do some troubleshooting. And let's go ahead and let Missy in. Hi, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hello. We sure can. Great. And then this is Misty. She is iEnergy Works. I even learned a little bit about it today. I thought it was kind of a separated word structure, but if you're looking for iEnergy Works, it's all one word. I, as in I myself, iEnergy Works. And please, Misty, tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Okay, sure. Um, First of all, I'll start with myself. Uh, my name is Missy Folds, and I am a um, Acunet. Uh, I'm a certified Acunet practitioner, and um, I do a bunch of other stuff as well, um, but that's basically um, kind of some advanced energy work. And um, so, I, so I'm a certified Acunet practitioner. I'm a mother of one, and I'm a wife. And what else am I? I have a lot of roles, but um, <laughs> yeah, I I'm basically um, I am starting on this journey. Um, I've been I've been working in energy medicine now for let's see since 2014, and um, so just about 10 years then. Yeah, yeah, about 10 years, and over the last 10 years, um, a lot of what I've what I do has evolved and evolved and evolved. And um, I'm currently, um, I've, I've currently basically created a conglomerate of, um, let's see, four or five different um, energy modalities. Um, but the main energy modality I use is Acunect. Um, and can and you so spell Acunect, that for everybody? Because it's yeah, a little yeah. bit of a hard word to hear properly it, without knowing how it's Absolutely. Yeah, it is a hard word to hear. So it's A-C-C-U-N-E-C-T. So okay. ACU, ACU um, is, is kind of, is acupuncture, which is um, medicine that's in Chinese medicine theory that uses needles and places needles strategically throughout the human body to um, as well as create balance. Right? So- isn't yeah. that another? So, mm-hmm. so, so ACU stands for acupuncture. Um, and then neck is connecting to the self. So um, I'm not sure why the founder called it ACU neck really, but 
essentially he was an he was an acupuncture um an acupuncturist um and he was a lot of other things too he's a pretty amazing guy and he created this whole energy system out of chinese medicine theory um he added a bunch of other elements to it and created um basically acupuncture and a lot of other things built into one um, healing system that can be used remotely without needles uh, and it it is it's been going now for about let's see 15 years so I caught it pretty early on when it was in its infancy um, and got trained in it um, and it is a, an incredibly profound healing system. It's probably one of the most advanced energy healing systems on the planet. And that's, that's kind of a big statement, but I can stand, like I, I stand firmly behind that statement. It's, it's huge. Um, it originally originated from what was called body talk. Um, so let me just I have go experienced in, some of that in uh, oh, the have, physical okay. world. Yep, I have one time and it was amazing. You're right. To take it further than that, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. So body talk. Okay, so let me just back up a little bit here. So um, I'm just going to go into my story a little bit. Um, 11 years ago, I became pregnant with my daughter, and she was my first child. And my health, um, as soon as I got pregnant, started to, to deteriorate. And it was rapid. It was a very rapid deterioration. I didn't know what was going on. And I kind of fumbled through life for probably six years, not knowing what was happening to me and just steadily getting worse and worse. And then about four years ago, I started, or let's see, I'd already started um, working in energy medicine and trying to figure out what was going on and trying to heal myself. That's actually why I got into energy medicine. And I think um, one of the pieces you skipped is that you learned some of the, at least the modality with Reiki. Is that correct? Was that during that yeah, period? Yeah. Or? yeah. Mm-hmm. So Reiki was actually my original, my first energy um, certification. Okay. Um, and then I went on to become a Reiki master. And then I, I learned reflexology. I also learned what's called ancient wisdom which is an energetic form of acupuncture. Um, and then so I learned Mayan. And can then I learned Mayan. Acupuncture? No. So I cannot practice acupuncture. Um, I am, yeah, I'm definitely not an acupuncturist. Um, and I and I didn't go through four years worth of training, you know. So oh, goodness. I do not have a, a master's degree in um, acupuncture or in Chinese medicine theory. However, I did. But you have a basis in that educational style. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, and um, then you were talking about Mayan. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just was fleshing out um, what you're saying there a bit. Sure, sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, And then Mayan abdominal therapy um, is another um, thing, and I can actually use that energetically as well. And that's um, Mayan as the culture in South America, correct? Correct. Yes. Mayan abdominal therapy. Yeah. It's actually just a really, um, it's just a fancy word for belly massage. <laughs> but this, Still, this though, these belly, things are... This belly, 
yeah, this belly massage is really good for um for women in general, especially as we age. So mm. yeah. So um anyway, so going back to my story, I I was really sick and I was becoming certified in all kinds of different energy medicine, trying to heal myself. Um, I wasn't focusing on anyone at the time except for myself. And um, slowly but surely, I realized, I came to the understanding that um, my gut um, was, was I, had, I was dealing with dysbiosis. Basically, dysbiosis is... I'm, okay, thank you, please. I don't know the word or... It's yeah, another one yeah. that's a little so gut, hard to hear if you want to spell it. Yeah, D-Y... Let's see, just D-Y-S, biosis, D-O, or excuse me, B-I-O-S-I-S, dysbiosis. So it basically means that your gut microbiome has been shifted toward an unbalanced state. Um, And uh, and oftentimes that means that pathogens are kind of growing inside your gut. And And pathogens being like? Viruses, uh, bacteria, funguses, and parasites. Okay. And so um, I'm not going to go into the gut microbiome just because that's a really, really big topic for um, what we're going to cover Another today. time, perhaps, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I basically discovered that um, my gut was not happy, um, and it was kind of overgrow. It had a lot of... I also had mercury toxicity. Um, oh goodness! Um, pretty severe, yeah. Which is what led to my probably what led to my gut dysbiosis. So anyway, long story short, um, once I figured out what was actually causing me to feel sick, um, I really started working on it, and I have basically compiled something like six years worth of research and trial and error through my own body of figuring out, you know, um, how to get rid of dysbiosis and how to balance the gut as well as um, how to balance the overall body, mind, and spirit as well because, you know, it's all connected and and you can't heal your gut without, you know, healing your mind. You can't heal your gut right, without heal, healing your spirit. Yeah. Where did you originally have the mercury originating from? So the mercury originally... Um, came from my amalgam feelings. So it's still um, your those are the mouth silver. to your gut, right? That's the yeah, whole... Yeah, yeah. And then you yeah, just so, start going out of whack everywhere. Yeah, so mercury poisoning is deadly, um, depending on the extent of which um, you may have, of which a person has it. Um, and just a tiny bit of mercury in the system can really start... Um, creating disruption within the system. Your body tries to really cope with the mercury by using enzymes to um, to break it down, which is ineffective, unfortunately. And so then you, know, you don't have enzymes left over for your food. And so then all that food kind of moves through your system and it doesn't get fully digested. And, and when food does that, it creates pathogens. Like there's a lot of pathogens that can grow and kind of thrive in that environment. So in a nutshell, I was very, very sick. Um, so, yeah, so fast forward to today, um, I have, I am healing, I'm 
I'm not 100%, certainly. I don't know if we ever are, <laughs> you know, once we go through a major thing. But, um, but I've healed so much um, from, from where I was 10, 11 years ago. And I just I have so much to share on that. And there's been so much knowledge and wisdom that I've gained over, over the years. And, um, yeah, I just feel like that is um, one of my gifts that I want to provide to others so that they don't have to go 10 years, you know, trying to figure out this and that and the other, you know, maybe um, any knowledge that I share with people can help them kind of leapfrog forward a little faster. Well, and of course, I've always uh, picked your brain, right, to try yeah. to yeah. fix the own th- uh, my own uh, imbalance systems and to help my family yeah. as well. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So I love sharing. I love helping helping people, you know, um you know, certainly what worked for me doesn't always work for everyone and you know, what didn't work for me may work for you. So I'm always willing to share all that kind of information cuz I think that's what's what um collectively rewilding is all about is really sharing, having a community to share um this great information. Yeah, we do all so, have our different pieces to contribute. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's so much great information on there. I'm just blown away at the quality of information that's been put on that. Well, that thank community. you. I I enjoy organizing and researching. Those are two of my easiest skill sets. Right, and they don't necessarily apply to the physical outdoor world. However, they're very beneficial in being able to put the increasing variety. When I first began collectively rewilding, there was very little, like um, the featured content that we host there. Well, not host, excuse me, that we um, share from other content creators, as well as those that are within our collectively rewilding family already. There were so few, and now it's really starting to increase. It's really exciting, and we share everything from the knowledge that we're gaining about historical and ancient patterns of interaction with nature all the way to the modern technologies that are being developed uh, to try to reclaim what we've lost or broken to try to understand better what it is that we're dealing with in the first place so that our interactions are less harmful and our solutions are actually more productive, right? So it's the whole world of the outdoors. And absolutely healing ourselves, we're a part of this biome. You know, we're talking about biomes. Everything is part of everything else. They say a fishbowl, it's so much deeper than that because each different system interacts with itself. It's like the butterfly effect mixed with the fishbowl, you know? So we really do all have a part in this. And that's really beautiful. I had no idea about this Mayan, um, say again, what it is called? Mayan abdominal therapy. Interesting. I didn't realize that we knew about any Mayan healing practices, you know? Yeah. Very fascinating. How did you discover that? Where did that come up in your learning? 
Um, you know, they were offering the class in the town in which I grew up, which I where I was living at the time. And um I was just a sponge for <laughs> anything um abdominal related, you know. I had a lot of pain in my abdomen and a lot of um you know, things going on within the abdomen and um and it was it was a self care course. Mm. Um and so I I learned the technique there and it has been remarkable in my own health and in my own self care. And then I use it on sessions when it comes up for people. Um, and it has been remarkable for them as well. Do they have to be physically well. there? That's wonderful. No. Do they have to? Okay, so that's something that you can <laughs> know, utilize that's, that's with the eye. It is. Yeah. With eye energy works. Yeah, yeah. So Acunect. So let me go into Acunect a little bit. Okay, first, actually, let's back up. Um, collectively rewilding. So in my space, with collectively, I um, have a I have a few different spaces within um, within that platform. One of them is restoring the gut. Um, another space is detoxing, because that's that's a huge part of restoring the gut is detoxing. And um, and then uh, the third one is I'm gonna I'm gonna put together a space that's called aging gracefully, because I just work on myself every day, all day to keep my body from you know. When you have a chronic health condition, you have to you have to work with your body and keep it going. You have to keep it moving well. You have to keep your, you know, your muscles from getting really stiff or, you know. And so I've just learned a ton of tricks with um, kind of aging gracefully and how, what's, what's, you know, some of the coolest ways or the most tangible ways we can work on ourselves in our own house um, so that, you know, we're not dealing with quite as much pain and um, we're not suffering as much. So that's the third um, space, heal, uh, aging gracefully. And then I'm also going to have a space called healing sessions um, where I share, you know, information on energy medicine, but I also will have that space available for people who want to do sessions through the platform through Collectively Rewilding. Uh, I've so also that's considered... A, that's a remote session, right? Which you've kind of yeah. touched on a little bit. So I think yeah. that that's not something everybody understands automatically. If you want to explain, you know, you're, you're putting it into almost a course or live streaming format, but this is something that you already do remotely. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, I'm actually going to do a remote session on Sabrina today. She's so grace, graciously um, gave me permission to work on her in front of everyone today. So that's exciting. And that's a big deal for you um, to do uh, as well. The invitation is a big part of your, your yes, energy it work. it is a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm not going to go super deep into remote healing. Um, if anybody wants to understand what remote, work like remote healing is um the first place to go is to start um just google quantum physics um you know we've all gone to high school physics classes or college physics classes and there's a well, maybe not class. all of us but not all ahead. of us yeah but, but many of us sorry you're the good. all word is never the right word um so uh so there's right and then there's a sub a sub category of physics that you can study 
usually in college, that's called quantum physics. Quantum I'm physics definitely aware is, of the terms, right? Go yeah. for it. Yes, please. Yeah. So Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein, um, PE equals MC squared, right? The laws of yes. relativity, all of this stuff. That's all quantum physics that was developed um, or that was brought to the westernized um, communities um, through Albert Einstein. He was the one who um, who sort of helped us understand the zero-point field. So the zero-point field is um, is basically a field in which I work in some of the time. I mean, I have a lot of clients that come to me in person as well. Um, mm-hmm. But um, in the zero-point field, um, that means the zero-point field is a space where no time exists and no space exists. Um, and that's where people heal without, you know, actually being in the doctor's office when the person's being worked on or... It's a place where laws that typically, like laws that are governed by Earth and Earth's gravity and all the elements of Earth, think about, so there's the laws of Earth and then there's the laws that are outside of the planet. So the laws outside of the planet planet act very differently than the laws on Earth. Is there some difference, like when they talk about the speed of light and you wouldn't age and the law of gravity when you are in space, these are some comparable ways to think about different levels of, okay, go ahead. Absolutely. So like the law of gravity doesn't exist when you're um, out in space, right? Because you don't have the mass there. Um, Anyway, so if you, if anybody has any, um, this is a super huge topic as well, obviously it's quantum physics this is a whole class that you would take in college. So um, if, if you have any questions about the zero point field or anything, I would um, recommend a book by Bruce Lipton. Um, he wrote a great book on epigenetics and uh, the zero point field. I'll have to look up the name of that book. I wrote it down earlier today. Um, but that'd be an excellent for, uh, post to put up in collectively rewilding afterwards. Yeah, so that yeah, it's, yeah. That's mm-hmm. a great. That's a great idea, actually. And so, um, that book is kind of a great book for newbies who don't understand remote healing or newbies who don't understand quantum physics. I guess what um, I was talking about, and that that totally is an answer, right? It isn't not the answer. What I was thinking of is more of a summary of what it feels like to a person who's never had a remote session, what they should expect, what they're, which we'll do when we walk through it. But uh, simply to me, it was a very unique experience and something I was completely unfamiliar with until you brought it to my awareness. So I had no concept of what was going to happen. And so there's some um, repetitive pattern type movements, right? That one could expect. Some simple patterns of hand gestures. Tapping. Yeah, tapping. Um, There's specific ways that we can tap on the body to um, make it discharge information and to make it store information. Um, So uh, 
Uh, yeah, that's good. I'm going to, let me go back into Acunect a little bit to talk a little bit more so I can give some context around remote healing and Acunect. And I think this will pull mm -hmm. it all together. So Acunect, um, what it is, is it's got the backbone of Chinese medicine theory behind it, acupuncture. It deals with, um, it deals with the five different organ systems in the body. That includes the gallbladder, the liver, the heart, the small intestine, um, the spleen, the stomach, the what else? The bladder, the brain, um, mm -hmm. and the kidney. Okay. And my missing one. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Oh yes, and the lung, and the large intestine. So but it doesn't have anything five. to do with the brain at all. It's just your, like, uh, core organs then. Yeah, it's just your core organs. I mean, the brain ties into all that. That's Yeah, and that's the nervous system, and we can go into meridians okay. and stuff. Um, okay. But everything is run by the meridians. So anyway, so this is um, – so basically this healing system, Acunec, deals with these um, five organ systems within the body and from those systems we balance those those all those systems within the body through various um, through various techniques but the important piece for people to understand is that this is a body led um, this is a body led healing modality what that means is what I do is I, I tap into your body with your permission, of course. I don't do this to anybody without permission, which is something you mentioned earlier, Sabrina. Um, somebody will come to me and say, Missy, can I have a session? And when somebody asks me for a session, then that is basically them giving me permission to work on them. So then I tap into their energy field and into their body, and um, I just start identifying what is the priority that their body wants to work on. So, um, and you guys are going to get to see this happen live with Sabrina today. I guess you're not, you're going to get to hear it live <laughs> with Sabrina today on how it, how it all kind of falls out. But um, her body will basically, I will go through her health map. I have this big health map that I go, that guides me to where, um, to what her body is needing at the time. So I will go find out what her body needs right now right here and right now, and we will work through all of those systems and we will get her body um, systems communicating again. Because the reality of disease is um, disease comes from our bodies not communicating with ourselves anymore. You know, we stare at computer screens, we're constantly communicating with other people, we're so distracted with our big brains um, that our body sometimes forgets how to get self. It's like the, the maybe the liver forgets to communicate with the gallbladder after eating lunch or, you know, the nervous system isn't communicating with the lymphatic system. And so the lymphatic system is sluggish right now or, you know. I feel that in a completely different way. I'm sure it does interact with it on some level too, but I have scoliosis. And if I don't yeah. pay attention to my spinal structure, it worsens my allergies. It worsens my headaches. You know, it is yeah. really all connected. 
It is so connected. And that's what you learn to understand once you start working with this modality or once you start getting worked on with this modality is you realize just how connected all of our systems in our bodies are um, and how, you know, continually kind of working and keeping those systems communicating leads to, you know, um, healing, essentially. Um, so does that all make sense? I know this is these are super abstract concepts. And so, Sabrina, feel free to flush out any um, questions that you have about this and what I'm saying. Um, I think that I would just give my perceptions, being such a baby to the topic, uh, having yeah. experienced it a few times remotely, it was yeah. something that you want to be able to be in a calm place that you need to um, not have a lot of outside noise or distraction and you don't really have to do any major interacting, but you want to be able to just let your body be quiet inside itself. And then there's a little bit of talking on, in this case, Misty's practitioner's side. Is that a correct term? That, that's fine. Okay. And so um, there's a little bit of talking, like I said, just to me, it, so, it didn't so exclusively focus on tapping in my head. I'm not obviously arguing. To me, it just felt like overall hand gestures were requested on my part. And yeah. um, so that was my perception. It was very calming, very centering. Uh, definitely had tangible results. And this is something that you and I have just touched on very lightly over the past, what, maybe three years, four years at most, and had maybe five sessions, something to that effect. Yeah, probably so. And so each time there was noticeable improvement. Um, I, too, have a decently lengthy foray into the allergen world and uncertain I am filled with can how do you say candida 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 yeah candida yeast yeah yeast fungus and that that feeds on sugar correct correct Mm -hmm. and so most of America probably what 65 80 (laughs) percent of America has at least some level of you know this problem, whether they realize it or not, you're the one who clued me into it, uh, talking about looking at my tongue. You know, that was a big piece that I still am noticing, right? Paying attention to, to see getting improvement and uh, retreat of this, is it a fungus you said? What did you call it? Um, It's a yeast, but it's also a fungus. Yeast can turn into funguses. uh, Oh, how fun is that? Yay. Right. So... (laughs) Let, let's hear from you now, uh, anything that that brings up for you. And then whenever you're ready, we can start the session if that's the timeline you're thinking yeah. there. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Um, yeah, so essentially, Sabrina's right. The best thing for a patient or, yeah, the best thing for a person is to kind of be in a quiet space where they can just relax. And just imagine that like you're getting a massage, you know, and just enjoy your session 
you know, certainly um, you can tap and do, you know, I can suggest certain things, but it's actually not required that you do them because I am going to be energetically tapping over Sabrina. So I might, I might say, Sabrina, if you'd like to, you can tap your head and your heart. That's not required. Like I could work on a paraplegic person who couldn't move anything and they would, they would not have to tap in order to get results. It's not about the physical world with this medicine. Um, it's, it's truly about like um, me tapping into their energetic field and, um, and working with the body in that way. Again, um, yeah. where you start getting into the complex, right? And it would definitely be interesting if you uh, put up some lectures or something about maybe the introduction to some of these overall topics, along with the book that you recommended and the pieces like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, because this is mm-hmm. very, um, this is very esoteric information to some people. Um, to some people, it's not. You know, there's a whole population of people where this is just common knowledge and. People work remotely and shamans are real and, you know, like the spirit world is real and alive and it's, but there's a, there is a population where that's, this is all very Taboo. new information. Taboo right. potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. People um, don't so, uh, want to think about, uh, it doesn't matter if you say religious, spiritual, new age, that's a terrifying word for some folks, Right. And really, though, if you think about it, you did begin this by talking about Albert Einstein. And so that's what I was thinking when you mentioned him and the work that he uh, played in this big journey was that he quantified, he's talking about quantum physics, he quantified (laughs) these, yes, Eastern um, ancient knowledge bases into scientific wording so that the Western world was more able to accept it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, because indigenous cultures have always dealt with the laws of relativity. It's actually embedded well, I mean, in our language. The best example that we have today that is relatively well known is that of the Aborigines being able to communicate at distance, right? They still have that. And that always yep. makes me wonder if that's the Tower of Babel, where the tower came crashing down and we stopped being able to speak with our minds and, and began speaking with our mouths. But yeah. please go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So our bodies are infinite. Um, that's that's kind of one of the premises of Acunect is that our, our bodies are connected to infinite um, intelligence. Whether you want to call that God or you want to call that the zero point field or you want to call it whatever. Um, we're all connected to source. And so um, by, by nature, source. Yeah. So um, by mm-hmm. the laws of relativity, we're all connected. And so um, I'm just going to, you know, tap into Sabrina's energy field and, um, and everybody's going to kind of get to see what, what that looks like. So Sabrina, if, if there's like, if there's anything else you want to cover before you start to get comfortable, um, I let think me that know. we're doing really well. I'm actually already getting into the posture that I like to assume. And okay. I think we covered a really good um, overview yeah. of a beginning cool. of what it is that you do. Do you feel that you got what you wanted to say out with the descriptions and the various pieces that you utilize, all these things? Yeah, you know what? Let me just say one more piece. Um, mm. 
yeah, let me just say one more piece and then we'll move into your session. So I just looked at my notes and I thought, you know what, this is a really good piece I should share. So something that Acunec does um, and the goal of um, the session with Sabrina today and anybody else, <laughs> whoever has the session um, with you me. You can do it to yourself is, as well or not as much? I do, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, also, I also have an Acunec practitioner that works on me. <laughs> I Wonderful. love this modality so much that I work on myself, but sometimes I can get such a better session if I actually contact my practitioner and have them tap into me <laughs> why I'm relaxed, right? Why I'm laying on the massage table mm -hmm. just totally like open and and it has actually changed my life time and again. Like I would not be the person I am today if I hadn't gotten the opportunity to have session. I mean, I get sessions every two weeks <laughs> if I'm on top of my game and I and I get out there and um, get in touch with my practitioner and if I if I stay on it like every two weeks and I notice like I really um, ascend or I really my health improves my lookout on life you know improves my mentality the way I speak the way I move through life everything improves and so if I can just like stick with it then I notice life just keeps getting better and better. Of course, we all have our hard days, certainly. But um, it's really kind of rocked my world in a, in a good way. Um, so with the goal of Sabrina's session today and with every session is um, the highest and truest expression of her. So in essence, Sabrina is this soul on earth who is striving to connect and grow to become her highest, truest self. And um, so with Acunect, we tap into the body's infinite wisdom and we tap into spirit's infinite wisdom and, and we reconnect her to, you know, her path, to her health and to her, her well-being. Um, and so that ultimately that's the goal um, of the session. And I should also back up and say I don't diagnose anything ever. I'm not a doctor. Um, and I never focus on what's wrong. You know, the patient can cer certainly say, hey, this is what's wrong with me. But what we focus on in ACUNECT is we focus on what is ready to heal. What in the body, mind, and spirit is ready to heal right now? Because we want to focus on the positive, right? Western medicine tends to focus on what's wrong, what's wrong, and cancer, and all these scary diagnoses, which can actually create more problems. Um, but when you focus on... I've known of two different people in my personal field of um, interaction that have yeah. died within... Um, I think both were in weeks, but definitely one was in weeks and one within a couple of months, if not weeks as well. They got that diagnosis and they diagnosis, were gone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Diagnosis. I stay away from diagnosis um, as a, for my own health. Like mm -hmm. personally, I don't want a diagnosis. People will ask me, do you have Crohn's? Do you have IBS? Blah, blah, blah. What do you have? And I'm like, I don't know what I have. I will never have a diagnosis. Nobody, you know, so, so I stay away from diagnosis just because I do feel like it can cause more trouble than um, 
than what it could help. And, mm-hmm. and my husband absolutely feels the You know, it, it's a mind-body, like you said, spirit connection. No matter where you take that, if you take that to a thing that you can weigh as the body dies or you take that yeah. to a, an afterlife, it doesn't really matter. It, it's all been quantified, like we said, in various yeah. ideologies. Right, whether it's a scientific ideology, a spiritual ideology. Uh, one other question I did want to ask you: sure. Did you, uh, at one point, I believe you thought this was tied to a fungal bloom or a, an algae bloom? Excuse me. Is that uh, something that you still think is my relevant? Or mm-hmm. are you talking about uh, my health? With my, yes, with my uh, with my husband being in the same yeah. region and also mountainous regions tend to have some of these uh, qua- these uh, diagnosed illnesses, right? Like my husband hasn't received the diagnosis of MS officially, but that's the probable likelihood that he has. Um, uh-huh. And they have tied those to fungal blooms and to mountain communities and things like that. And oh, does this tie into any of your environmental, what the overall things that you work with, these modalities that you work with, do they take things like that into account? And where you don't like a diagnosis, have you kind of moved away from trying to identify the absolute uh, initiations of it? Does that make sense? Uh, so, um, so it'll depend on what your body says to me, because I actually don't do a lot of logical thought. I don't, I don't, I don't take my, all my logical knowledge, um, all my left brain knowledge, and I don't go out and say, oh, I think this is what's going on with you when I do an Acunex session on you. Um, however, the Acunex health map will show me if there is um, a plant within your environment that is affecting you mm-hmm. um, or, or like if there's a fungus or, mm-hmm. or mold. Um, so, um, so oftentimes what could happen is like, okay, so... If the patient's like, or excuse me, I hate to say patient because that sounds so um, like I'm a doctor, but I'm not a doctor. Um, so if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, I've got these symptoms, whatever. Um, what the, so when I look at the health map and I figure out and I tap into their energy field, their energy field might tell me that they, um, that there is a priority to work or for the body to take a look at, um, you know, a virus that is lodged within the body that's connected to anger <laughs> that is um, in the lung system. Okay. Um, and that could also be connected to a plant. And mm-hmm. so when I, when I see all those pieces come together, I'll be like, oh, do you have an allergy to a plant in your environment? Or, you know, I'll, oh, yeah, yeah, I have allergies really bad to this sagebrush growing in my backyard. And, and yeah, and so then I, I, so then I kind of piece together a potential story, but I mean, I don't, I don't truly know what the real story is. I feel like only that's like beyond the scope. Um, but what could be happening is yes, there's a plant tripping up your immune system because you have some virus or some fungus in your microbiome that doesn't like it. And so it's creating inflammation in the body. And so by tapping into your body's energy field, um, we turn off your body's inflammation response to that plant. (laughs) You know, that sounds super complex. But essentially, 
we we tell the you know so then the, the, we go into there and we say okay body take a look at this and take appropriate action your body does it all i don't do it you know i'm just i am just the facilitator that shows the body hey take let's let's take a look at this thing let's get this piece all communicating again so, I almost look um, at it like um, one of the ways that I've had healing visualized for me is to describe a white or blue light in a similar type of pattern, the way people take stock of their bodies, right, as that uh, meditation style. Yeah. Very comparable process. You envision a white or blue light along with that taking of uh, stock of your body. Um, and to me, it's Absolutely. almost like an energy source that's prompting a more natural communication with whatever it is that you're interacting with in this process. Absolutely. Yes. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head because, you know, there are certain colors that tap into different energy systems in the body. For an example, the lungs and the large intestine are a yellow color in Chinese medicine theory. That's connected to the bile and that's connected to the solar plexus. Um, and the solar plexus the is a is chakra, or red. okay, the solar plexus. I I haven't done the studying that you yeah. have, and it's just a term that I hear sure, in sorry. relation to your I body and to the chakras. No, that's great. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about, you know, um, I said the lung and the large intestine, but I meant the spleen and the stomach. So the yellow okay. that corresponds to the spleen and the stomach is in the solar plexus, and where is the solar plexus? or excuse me, where's the spleen and the stomach or the pancreas and the stomach? It's located at the same junction as the solar plexus. Um, Which is like just above your belly button? Yeah, just above your belly button and just below, um, I guess, your chest right there. So almost so where, colors, where your rib cage is narrowed yeah. in, kind of? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll run you guys through a quick little exercise. So the root chakra is red, and that starts um, down in, like, your genital area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as you move up, you move up into the sacral chakra, and that area is, like, um, lower belly area. And that area Like where is, your hip uh, would meet if you ran your fingers along from your hip bone yeah. to the front of your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the color that corresponds with that is orange, and okay. that's the sacral chakra. And then as you go up, then we're back to yellow, what, I, what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. That's the solar plexus, and that's yellow. That's spleen and okay. stomach. So, again, all the organs all um, are connected to the chakra system as well, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so then you move up from um, the solar plexus, which is yellow, up into the chest where the heart is. Okay. And that is green. The How color weird. is green. I <laughs> know. I don't know why it's green, but it's green. And That's so neat. if somebody's like, we need to heal your heart, can you imagine uh, the green, can, imagine a green light and then mm. just focus on your heart space. And that just really, cool. I can actually feel my heart space start to expand a little bit by even saying that. Wow. Okay. That was interesting. I felt I it a little, not that. like as an expansion, but like an awareness and a little lightning. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Please continue. So, yeah, so green is the heart space um, and the chest. And then after, then you go up further into the next chakra, and that is the throat chakra. Um, is that like fully in your neck, throat, throat area? Yep. 
next row area, mm-hmm. and that's blue. Okay. Um, so that's how we express ourselves in the world is through that area. And then move up further into um, okay, throat. What's the next chakra? Um, I don't do chakras. Oh, gotta, I can't help yeah. you. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I think they're beautiful. I absolutely um, have never felt out of sync with anything I hear about them. It's simply never been a yeah. big focus of study. No, totally, totally. Um, I know it's going to be like purple, purple or indigo. Sorry, go ahead. So it's, Yeah, so it is indigo. Yep, you're right. Okay. Um, I'm just going to call it the head chakra because <laughs> for okay. some reason I just can't seem to, I oh, can't here, seem to I come can, up with um, the word. I can give it to you while you're talking uh, since you gave me a little bit uh, yeah, to work with yeah. there. It's basically, it's the third eye chakra. Is there another word for it? I don't think so. Yeah, it's the third eye chakra. Okay. And that that is actually right where your third eye would be. So right between your eyes and a little bit up is kind of the center of that chakra. And that mm-hmm. is, yeah, is indigo. Okay. And then, of course, above that. So your pineal gland would be a good place to think Pineal gland, absolutely, yep. And then the space above your head um, Mm -hmm. is the crown chakra, and that is purple. Okay. Okay. Very cool. I mean, I've always. I feel like a little bit more balanced. Just imagine all the colors in those spaces. I feel like a little more complete inside myself in a lot of levels because I've never had anybody actually really walk through it with me. You know, I, yeah. I'm a witch and uh, I, I consider myself a natural healer. I have no basis in study simply that when I touch people, I can take minor pains away. You know, I'm not trying to talk about nice. healing yeah. somebody that can walk or, but I can help people uh, sometimes eliminate their headache or at least make it a lot lighter, things like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, massage oriented. Awesome. Uh, so natural healer, but I don't have these, ideologies, these uh, methodologies, any of these in my language basis. Does that make sense? It's something that you have to spend some time in to really understand fully. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's really cool about uh, Acunect is it incorporates, it really incorporates so much. It incorporates all of Chinese medicine theory. It incorporates the chakras. It incorporates all these external things like plants and stuff in your environment. It incorporates mm-hmm. viruses, bacteria, funguses. Um, does it incorporate your diet at all? I know you do a lot with diet, but does this have anything to do with diet? Uh, not really. Um, if the patient, okay. or I keep saying the patient, the client I wants wonder what would be a good word for that. Diet, mm-hmm. know. If the client wants to focus on diet, um, then we incorporate into the session just by creating a focus around it. And then the body will actually work on it. So, like, okay, let's say you say, Missy, I want to break my sugar addiction. And we make that part of the focus. Um, we'll work on that, and your body will actually take um, the steps to connect itself to helping itself eliminate um, its cravings of sugar. And so when you wake up tomorrow or a week from today, you might go, you know what, I'm craving sugar like a little bit less. You know, it may not totally curb your sugar cravings, but it will, it, you won't have to go through like, you won't necessarily have to like willpower through like 
getting rid of sugar. I mean, there is going to be, have to be some willpower, certainly, you know. We're not saying that this is like a magical pill, but it will create an organic process within the body that starts to um, eliminate the need to uh, eliminate the imbalance that's craving the sugar perhaps might be a good way to. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And and who knows how that's happening on the biological level. We just don't know. Um, That's the body's infinite wisdom and it's doing what it does. I don't know. Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. I, the body, it's like the body knows what it needs. And that's what's really cool about this too, is your body knows, like Sabrina, your body today knows exactly what it needs. It knows what is priority. And by creating a focus, by you creating a focus, your body will identify what it needs to accomplish its priorities to heal. And so... It's really interesting that like, you brought up that element. Yeah. You've never spoken of that before. And that's actually, you told me to think about what I might want to uh, work on. Yeah. And I was going to list a few things. And then I was going to say, I don't know if you would know what would be a better order, what would be the one to focus on. And you're basically saying that you're going to get told what will be the best <laughs> out of my little litany that I provide you. Yeah, your body will decide um, out of your out of your little litany that you provide me. Your body will actually decide what's its priority, and you may not get everything you asked for. Your body's going to determine mm-hmm. what what it wants. But oftentimes, by focusing on it, it will connect to your focus on varying levels and degrees. So yeah, well, like we've talked about, it's all connected, right? <laughs> it's so connected, yeah. That's like AccuNect. That's about connection, right? Being connected to yourself, reconnecting to yourself. Well, it's like a quantum connection. It's really talking about that fishbowl with the Tokyo butterfly effect and the map that that maelstrom of connections kind of is to some degree, right? Like a focus point yeah. for that map, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so without further ado, I think I think we've covered – I think we covered a lot of the great topics that we should have covered before starting the session. So this is super exciting. I'm really excited to work on you, Sabrina. Um, yeah, if you're comfortable, um, would you mind just sharing what you want your focus to be? Well, I was just going to put out um, the things that I am feeling currently as well as the more long-term. So I've yeah. been sick yep. for about uh, five weeks. I'm finally better. That's why the show hasn't been on for, I don't even know, four or five weeks. I was just drug out sick. It really wasn't that bad for the majority of it, but it just would not let go. Overall, I have where I think a lot of my actual overall problems really begin is with the chronic insomnia that we've talked about, you know, lifelong, literally first conscious memory, already aware that I'm an insomniac, right? Um, Which I think has thrown my entire system out of balance uh, for my entire life, right? So um, so the next, I'm sorry, it is. Um, The next really big chronic piece is the allergies that I started suffering from. Oh, gosh, in like 2017, probably. And they just 
still from different areas, depending on the time, from about my uh, breast level, yes, into my breast where there are ducts that affect my sinuses, whatever that is actually termed as, and then into my chest area, throat, neck, not just the throat, that is distinct from the neck, it's both, into my jaw, my entire face, and all of my skull. It feels like it's in the center of the center of my head a lot of times. I don't know how to better describe it. It yeah. is all-encompassing at times. So those are okay. kind of the big overall and the most current. Great. Okay. So a lot of times I write down what the person's focus is with their own words, you know, Sometimes my mind wants to turn it into something medical that I understand that might be happening with them. But mm-hmm. I kind of try to keep my logic and stuff out of it a little bit. Um, although Almost more as a way have to my... center your thoughts, perhaps, while you're in your moment. You know, because I really want to... the body, you know, I really want to be able to tap into their body um, mm-hmm. through their own language um, and through mm-hmm. their own script uh, and through their own energy field. So the the less I can get myself logically involved, actually, the better, mm. strangely. It's kind of the opposite of Western medicine. So. No, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Because so then I'm just going to let everybody know. Yeah. I'm going to be – no, you're great. You're going to take over from here. Uh, I'll answer yeah. anything, and if I, really I want to ask or talk about something, I will. But I'm going to more concentrate on letting your focus be what we're all feeling. Okay, perfect. Um, one other thing I want to ask of you, Sabrina, if you were willing and if you want to, if this resonates, um, are there any, because you, you mentioned a bunch of physical things, are there mm-hmm. any life situations, and you don't even have to say them, you can just speak them if you want. But like, Oh, my goodness. Just overwhelming or, busyness. You know, not that I'm creating, uh-huh. like a lot of us can just yeah. make ourselves busy and I'm capable of that, but literally... Some of it absolutely has to be done, and the rest of it has to get done if I want to go further (laughs) with collectively rewilding and all these things that we're doing. And the (sighs) busyness that's so constant is really affecting my overall ability to be coherent and cohesive and in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Okay. And is there anything that you want in life? Like, let's just say, I'm just going to throw out this word, abundance. Like I think everybody uh, wants abundance with everything that we're working on really right here. Cool. That okay. would, you know, lead to abundance of community, which would lead to abundance of physical land, yeah. which would lead to an abundance of, uh, let's say, financial stability, right? Because I'm way more interested in adding more land so that more people could participate in this practice than I am about having a big bank account. But it's all tied together, right? It is, yeah. So I'm just going to throw abundance out there with the things that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Because that's another part of this Acunax is um, we're not just going to focus on the negative or on the chronic health conditions or whatever. The real magic happens when we focus on what do we want to manifest in this life, whether it's good health or whether it's abundance in the way we see abundance. Um, I really see the yeah. goals that we have as creating uh, a thought process first uh, no, solidifying a thought, a thought process that's already out there into a community online that would then, yes, hopefully translate into communities 
in the physical world, which is all, to me, abundance and health at the same time. All of those pieces are why we're so disconnected from our own bodies, to be so out of sync on such a consistent basis. Um, The lack of nature, the lack of community, uh, the lack of self-awareness, right? Yes. Perfect. Okay. So I put this in it, and it's interesting Community comes up so often in people's sessions. It's like people really need community. We are tribal. We do. And we we And we've talked about how people are uncomfortable. I'm sorry, please. What was that? Oh no. After tribal? Okay. Uh, I talk about trying to go back to a feel of tribal a lot in different ways, right? Most of us don't even necessarily know what our uh, genetic tribal past would be. Uh, those who are lucky enough to be able to guess or even possibly know if they've gone out and had like genetic testing done, things like that. Um, we still don't know a lot about what the tribes are. So that's another thing we have to bring back for ourselves because I think that that's our yeah. natural state of being as a species. And we've Absolutely. tried to take ourselves out of nature, act like we are above and better than nature. And in that process, we've done nothing but weaken ourselves, right? So please, go ahead. So Mm -hmm. in Chinese medicine, I just have to show this. In Chinese medicine theory, the root of all disease is separation from the Tao. Um, Another word is the Tao being the universe. Um, The idea that once we incarnated on earth, once we were born onto this planet, we were suddenly separate from the people around us. We're separate from God. Mm-hmm. We're separate from the Tao. We're separate from our environment. We're separate from nature. And that, in Chinese medicine theory, is the root of all disease. And if you can address that within a client, their diseases will go away. So this collectively rewilding is really, I really love it because it addresses this idea of separation so well because it's that reconnecting. And together while maintaining our individuality, right? The best of our understandings of the East and West philosophies, right? Putting that all into uh, a whole modality, almost like the Tao then, you know, the whole picture, the whole source, the whole universe. Yeah. We are really actually yeah, so starting to affect our space, right? We, we're causing small incidences in our outer uh, universe. Now, with, it's beyond our hemispheres. We have taken it yeah. and we've caused, you know, uh, trash and small um, craters on other planets and things like that with our space travel. So... Very interesting. Please, sorry, I kind of got a little existential there, but it's a little bit about the whole thing to some degree as well. Separation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the goal today is we are going to unify Sabrina to connect with herself and to her universe because that's what Akunek does. It reconnects you to the Tao or to God. So it reconnects or you to, to your body. Right. It really is. And, or to all things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Connection, reconnection to all things. Okay, so Sabrina, just go ahead and get out of your head now that we've... <laughs> you know how hard that is for me. I'm, I'm working on it already. <laughs> totally, totally. Okay, so sometimes I just take my clients through a little um, 
a little, you know, meditation to kind of get them out of their heads because that can be hard for mm-hmm. some people. Mm-hmm. So um, we're just going to ask the great source of all mysteries to work with Sabrina and I today to guide Sabrina toward her highest path so that she may heal, so that those around her may heal, so the planet may heal, and so the universe may heal. So Sabrina, you can just focus on your breath. Just start to feel this life force. Start to feel this life force that moves in and out of your body. Start to bring this breath up through your feet. And into your legs. Continue to breathe up into your body, up into the hips. Just imagine this white light of breath moving up into your belly. Just imagine that that light is just spiraling the belly area. And then bring that air and that breath of life up into your chest. And just notice if you feel any any blockages. You just witness, just witness them. to breathe this breath of light up into your neck area and into your head. And just feel that white light spiraling around your skull, oxygenating every cell, and then just imagine that of light expanding beyond your head. And expanding beyond your body. Just imagine that you are this bright white light that is expanding out into your aura. And then just take up take up that space. to be there. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the speaker now. 
that I can use my hands because it takes my hands to do this. We're just going to focus back in on all of those things you told me. We refocus. And there may be some silence um, throughout this and just allow the silence to just be, just relax into that silence. Hey, you're now on speaker. Well, right now I'm just um, tapping into Sabrina's body and figuring out what her body's priority is. Um, what is it ready to heal? Okay, so the first thing that's coming up um, that we are going to be kind of unwinding and balancing here is um, what's happening is there is a belief that you have, Sabrina. Um, this belief is it's better to give than to receive. Uh, the reality is it's best to give and receive in equal measure. So we are going to get rid of this belief. Um, this belief is connected to your lymphatic flow. Um, and within the lymphatic system, we're going to just be clearing your thoughts. And we're going to be creating flow in that system. And joy is the word that is coming up. Um, also connected to this is your nervous system, um, specifically uh, your your gut nerves, the nervous system within your gut. Um, what's coming up with that is uh, the emotion, anger. So um, we're just going to balance out this anger. Um, oftentimes emotions can kind of, emotions and beliefs can really jar up our bodies and our systems. So we're just going to unwind this belief. And we're just going to unwind and allow this anger to move out of the body. So, Sabrina, I'm just going to touch the back of your, um, right beneath your skull. We can focus on that nervous system. And then I'm going to touch um, kind of your spleen stomach area. I'm just going to focus those two areas. And say, 
hey, body. Let's get all these communicated again. Now I'm going to start tapping your head and your heart. If you want to, you can tap your head and your heart as well. But you don't have to. This belief and this anger is not you. You can let it go. Belief and anger, they're not you. You can let them go. Okay, I'm getting that that shifted. Can you hear me okay, Sabrina? Absolutely. Okay, great. <sighs> okay. We're just releasing, releasing, releasing. Okay, so oftentimes there are a number of these patterns coming up. So let me see if there's more. Is there more? Yes. Okay, there's more. Okay, so the second priority that is coming up in your body is um, we're going to balance all of your fluids. And when I say fluids, we're talking about the lymphatic fluids, talking about the blood. We're talking about the inner and outer cellular fluid. And then we're just going to clear any toxins and we're just going to unwind or seems like there's a lot of fluid in your body. Um, this seems like it's stagnating. There's like a stagnation energy here. So we're just going to unwind all those fluids, um, and we're going to focus on clearing them. And we're also going to focus on your sense of taste. Has your sense of taste been affected lately? Um, yes and no. I feel like my cigarette smoking is slowly probably my ability without me really being able to identify it specifically. I don't enjoy yeah. flavors as well. It's hard to tell, though, because foods don't taste the way they used to with the loss of nutrients and everything. But that's what comes to yeah. mind when you say that. Okay. Yeah. So um, 
we're just going to balance your sense of taste. I'm not sure how this is related to your fluids, but um, that's what that's what your body wants to focus on. But this could be um, just changing things that you're attracted to taste-wise, too. So, mm. um, the body wants certain things, and sometimes we give our bodies other things that, you know, when I thought about the olfactory, the olfactory senses are so tied to your taste. And that's where I suffer with my lymph nodes the most is in my nose, Uh, the congestion there. It's just severe. Yeah, it really affects taste. So, okay, so uh, I'm just going to imagine that I'm sticking both my hands on the side of your head, on your skull, above your ears. And that's how you balance the fluids. I'm going to hold that space on you. I'm just going to tell the body, okay, let's take a look at this. We're just going to unwind and clear all of these fluids. Focusing on sense of taste. I'll be interested to hear if your sense of taste changes at all. Do you notice anything about your sense of taste? I will pay attention. Okay. That has shifted. Okay. Okay, so we've got one more pattern, I think. Usually it's about three patterns for most adults. So we kind of unwind and then the body goes, okay, that's enough. <laughs> you can only do so much changing at one time. So. That makes
Okay, Sabrina. So our um, third pattern here is we're just going to be resetting your whole body. Um, and it's kind of like rebooting in your computer. <laughs> you know, your computer starts glitching and things aren't working so well anymore. What do we do? We reboot. We're just going to reboot your body. And then um, we're also going to balance the belief I'm stuck. Does that resonate at all? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. And then we're also going to uh, balance change. Um, and that's it's just relating to uh, your ability to change and adapt uh, to to what your body is ready to move forward on. So um, with this reset, um, I'm just going to place my hands again um, above your ears on both sides of your skull. And then what I will need you to do is, you know, uh, look up at the top of your hat brim. Imagine you're wearing a hat and just like kind of look up at the top of that brim, hat brim. And then cross your arms over your chest. And then I'm just going to start tapping over your head and your heart. This belief is not you. You can let it go. Belief. Not you. You can let it go. And we're just resetting the body. Moving back into rest and healing mode. And then we're just going to continue to tap over the head and the heart. And we're just going to dissolve any resistance the healing that you may have. Okay, so I am getting that that is the session. If you want to just slowly start coming back into your body and start feeling your your brain waking up again. Hopefully your brain turned off a little bit for a little while there. (laughs) A moment. It's hard for me. Well, that was interesting. Um, One thing I've learned about Acunect, or or I guess I should say one thing I've really learned about the body, with people's bodies, is these emotions and our beliefs that that really drive us in one direction or another. 
And I feel like emotions and beliefs are really the core of disease. It's It really... And once you start moving those beliefs out of the body and that anger or, you know, any of those worry, any of those type of emotions, once you start moving them out of the body, the body functions so much clearer. I don't want to say better, but clearer. It starts to communicate more effectively with itself and with its environment. Thank you very much. I uh when I was coming out and recentering myself, I was able to get my neck to pop on the side that it almost never does. So that was just immediate uh tension because oh, I I was able to relax and when we first started it was very hard for my eyelids not to flutter, you know. And yeah. by the end of the session I was able to mostly keep them relaxed at resting. Um, I've finally been able to do that when I sleep as well. It's something that's very, very difficult for me to do, to not have my eyes just almost open. I blink probably a lot less than the average person even. So there were immediate lessening of tensions. I was able, you feel a lot when you have something like scoliosis. I don't know, maybe you don't even have to have this to feel this. But you'll think you're sitting straight or standing straight. And then as you work with your yoga, as you were talking to me, as I was able more and more to relax into what you were saying, I would realize, oh, I'm really not straight. And I would straighten a little bit more. And that's with not being able to do my yoga again for a month, a month and a half, I'm really tight and I do feel a lot of the tension and that's where I felt it is in my shoulders into my neck into my top portion of my middle back and that's what I was able to pop was a good portion of that tension so yeah immediate relief that is so that's so great this releasing tension is so huge for us oh it is and we can really hold it in our bodies. A lot of people don't even realize where yeah. they've held their posture so long that they no longer even can just go into a more natural, straight posture. There are Maybe their shoulders will raise up to their ears or slump down um, is a really common set, right? Absolutely. All these, we don't stand with our, our head just a little bit back. And our eyes facing forward, we're either looking to the side, looking down. Very rarely are we actually looking up, which is uh, unfortunate. I have to draw people's attention to what's going on into the sky all the time, right? They're not even aware. They don't even really notice it. They're just so forward-focused or downward-focused. So very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing about these sessions is it can take, you know, you may feel initially, you know, more relaxed, a release of tension, um, and just kind of an overall less stressed mode. But I definitely got more while. centered and calm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did too, even just doing the session on you, I became more centered and calm. But what happens over like a 24 hour period, your body really integrates everything. 
So sometimes people get immediate results that are pretty profound. But sometimes it takes 24 hours to sort of integrate. But other people could see even more profound effects over like a two-week stretch where they're like, wow, you know, I was, I was uh, starting to have these angry outbursts and, you know, I was really starting to, you know, feel tons of pain in my neck. And, and then I've just noticed over the last week or so, I haven't been having my angry outbursts anymore and the neck pain is totally gone or or whatever, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, you'll notice different things at different stages, oh, time frames away from the session. Absolutely. Now, of course, with what I'm getting ready to go into, having to move and everything know, right yeah, at about right. the two-week period, it's going to be, once again, a little bit hard to pay attention to my own internal uh, health, just yeah. what it is, where it's at, what it feels it's like, just, what my body what feels like, yeah. you know. And yeah. that's one of the things that um, we also struggle with. We're struggling with a lack of community, a lack of nature, and that simple ability to intake your own place in the world where you are in that moment. Are you uh, healthy? Are you calm? Are you centered? Do you have happiness, joy? Are you depressed? Is there struggle and stress, you know, and just really feeling our own internal everything, emotion, physicality, all of it together. It's all a big picture and we have time for it. You know, and that's unfortunate. Yeah. We yeah. don't have time for our own bodies. What kind of a statement is that, really? <laughs> I but know, it's true. right. Because our bodies are the one true gift that we came into the world with, right? It's the only, tr- the thing that is really ours that we came in with. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like, our bodies are sacred. And it is so important to prioritize them, but so many pressures our in culture. life kind of leave us. Leave us unable to prioritize our precious bodies, and our bodies really are our gift, our one true gift that we came in with. So, and it's not only that we're unable to; it's also that we're taught to ignore it. We're taught that strength means ignoring it. That you're not. It yeah. doesn't matter what your body's telling you. Go to work. You know, there's a, yes, an unspoken. I mean, it's unspeakable to say how many different messages like that. You couldn't even try to put it into a list. There are so many unhealthy images that we're presented with. There's so many unhealthy ideologies. Even when we're being told, oh, you shouldn't feel this, there's an undercurrent of, but you're really supposed to do it like this. You know, you're supposed to worry about your appearance more than your health. You're supposed to worry about your career more than your health. Um, We're taught to lip service our concern for the environment, but there's no time or even in the most uh, ready sense for the average person to actually put effort into caring about the environment, which then so much affects our own internal environment. It's something to really strive for to find that time. Yeah. All right, my dear. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you well, so much. Thanks for, yeah, you're welcome, and um, thanks for having me on this show. I'm, I'm, thanks for being vulnerable and allowing uh, everybody to get to kind of hear, hear your session. You know, that's a that's a vulnerable place. So, um, I just wanted to say thank you for for being open to that. 
Absolutely. Um, it's hard for the yeah. audience, too, really, right? That It made me think of the Alanis Morissette song um, where you can't handle silence for a minute, and she actually just shuts off her song there. That is hard for a lot of people <laughs> to truly sit in the silence. And it's yeah. very rare in a uh, broadcasting sense, no matter what the media, right? Absolutely. And even as a practitioner, sometimes I I feel a little bit like uncomfortable with the silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I have to just say, no, the silence is where all the magic happens. And, that, and that's the truth. I believe the silence is where a lot of magic happens within the healing sphere. Well, that's why we have so much trouble with meditation, sleeping. Sleeping for me is not this rare occurrence in our culture. So many people struggle with sleep in general, with um, the ability to calm their mind. You don't have to have bipolar and OCD as I do to have that struggle. That's, again, a cultural phenomenon that we continue to, instead of, while we recognize it so bad, our overall culture really is not willing to take any true steps or even measurements of what that means, what being calm for five minutes of your day. How many of us can sit in the calm for five minutes of our day? It's very hard. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We will go ahead and go uh, listen to an ancient composting method. Really interesting information. Thank you so much for joining us, Misty, and hope to have you back sometime. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Should I leave my website or um, should I share any of my information if people would like to? Yes, I'd love that. Please. Mm -hmm. Is it best to do it here or... um, Right it's here on the radio. It everywhere, right? So everywhere, go ahead right and here. share yeah. it with us here live. And then you want to post it, anything that you haven't already in Collectively Rewilding. You can also post it on Collectively Rewilding's Facebook uh, page, which is accessible to everyone. For Collectively Perfect. Rewilding yeah. on Mighty Networks, you know you have to have an account. And we'd love to have everybody come and join us over there. But putting it out there all over is always a great piece when it's especially those basics that you really want people to understand why they want to go more in depth with what you're doing. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, great. I will go post it everywhere. Um, And then also if you want a session or you would like to reach me, uh, you can reach me at 970-739-9555. And then uh, my website is www.i energy e n e r g y works w o r k s i energyworks.com and again thanks thanks so much sabrina appreciate it and um yes please come join us come join us come join us come join us this community is going to be awesome and it's growing and we need you there and you need us. <laughs> That's the whole okay, idea great. of Collectively Rewilding, really, right, is to showcase anybody's journey that they have gained knowledge, experience, skill sets in, because no one can do it all. And so if we come together, we can have one location where we can find the pieces we're seeking and further guidance and share those pieces where we can guide others in that same 
idea. So thank you so much. We'll go ahead now and play the ancient composting method, and we'll be back in about nine minutes. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Sabrina. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another very exciting episode right here on the MI Gardener channel. In today's episode, I'm going to be hopefully teaching you guys about a method of composting that is very simple, very convenient, and it's very effective. So I'm going to explain the rationale behind it, and it's called trench composting. Let's go. So as I said, the name of this method is called trench composting, and as the name would imply, we're going to be composting in a trench. Now, you've probably seen where people dig a trench and they put things like their food scraps and uh, you know, uh, stuff from their kitchen into a, into a trench, and it breaks down, feeds their plants throughout the growing season. That is a method of trench composting, and it works great. But this is at the end of the season when we have stuff like our, our squash plants here. You might have corn plants, a bunch of bulky material that you don't really know what to do with. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to take out all this material. We're just going to chop it out and remove it from the garden. So it's done producing for the year. We got a lot of squash this year. It was a great year for, uh, for our zucchinis. And um, so we're going to chop it all up, get it out of the garden. Once we've done that, we're going to move on to the next step of just digging a trench. So in gardening and agriculture, there's a term called closed loop. Now in a closed loop agriculture or a closed loop garden, it basically means that all of the resources that it took to grow that crop are kept on site. If you have to go to the store and buy fertilizer or go to another farm and get cow manure or anything like that, that is an outside resource, outside of your loop. And you can think of your loop as just a little mini ecosystem. And so in our garden here, this garden, this bed, could be a closed loop or an open loop if I have to bring in more compost to amend the bed. Um, I also could uh, have our whole garden be open or closed, right? Um, do I have to make compost off-site? Um, do I have to bring fertilizer from, uh, you know, from the store or compost from a compost facility? Those are all resources I'm bringing back in to amend my soil to grow my plants. And by trench composting, you're actually closing that loop as much as possible because the amount of nutrients that these plants used to grow with was a ton of nutrients. And yes, we did harvest some fruits. We harvested some, we harvested some zucchinis and took them away from the bed. That is nutrients that will never be returned back to this bed. But these plants, if we took them off and we composted them in a compost pile, there's a certain percentage of that compost that would get wasted or lost through a process called leaching. So in a compost pile, because we don't have a basin underneath the compost pile to catch all of the what's called leachate, that is basically all of the nutrients and uh, good stuff that comes from a compost pile. Because we can't capture all that leachate, it's going to just soak into the ground. And that leachate carries with it nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, trace minerals, and things like that. And that's why the perimeter of your compost pile grows so well. The grass is really green, the weeds just thrive, and that's all the nutrients that are being lost. Yes, you're going to be capturing probably about 70, 75% of the available nutrients in your compost when you break it down, but the remaining 20, 25% is lost. And so um, e even if you were to take all of that squash, all the squash plants, compost them over here, you'd then have to have, in a perfect case scenario, 100% um, of what's composted taken back over there to, to result in the same exact result as what you're going to be getting with trench composting, which is amazing. You're actually saving 100% of all of what would normally be lost here by doing it over there. All right, so next part of trench composting is, as the name would imply, we need a trench. 
So we're going to dig down about, I'd say, I don't know, 8, 10 inches or so. The, the depth doesn't really matter quite as much because by spring, all of this will be totally broken down anyways. The worms are going to have some good food throughout winter. And because we're digging down, you know, more than about four or six inches or so, the soil should stay mostly thawed. Now, obviously, depending on where you live, that's going to vary. I find that the permafrost, like the frozen layer of soil in our garden, typically extends no more than about six inches. So I like to go down about eight to ten inches. And then that way, it stays thawed so that, you know, worms and bacteria, even during the, the coldest weather, can still be working on something, even if it's slow. So I'm digging down about eight, ten inches deep. And I'm just going along the length of the bed that I'm going to fill up with my material. So as I was digging the trench, I found this little buddy. These are the things that are going to be doing all the work for you. These worms are going to be doing all the composting of all this material, as well as other soil bacteria and microbes and fungi and all that other good stuff. They're going to be breaking down this material right here in the raised bed. So the next thing you want to do is make it small for them. They don't want all this material to be nice and big and chunky and bulky. They want it smaller. The more surface area you have, the smaller it is, the faster they're going to be able to break it down. So we're just going to take it. We're going to beat it up a little bit. Take out your aggression on the world. Or aggression for the world, I should say. <laughs> All right, so once you are totally out of breath and absolutely gassed, it's also like 85 degrees out, so bear with me. But once you get it all chopped up, we're going to take all this material and load it into the trench. So I know what you're probably thinking. Luke, wait, you're not going to throw all that in the garden, right? That squash had powdery mildew. And if you thought it had powdery mildew, you'd be correct. But why am I still throwing it in the garden? Well, because I don't really care. The reason why is because powdery mildew is a soil-borne fungus, just like early blight, late blight is for things like tomatoes. I'm not worried about it because it's a soil-borne fungus. It comes from the soil anyways, meaning that it came from the soil, so I'm just returning it back to the soil. And I'm not too worried about it because in healthy soil, you're going to have a balance between good bugs, bad bugs, good fungi, bad fungi, and things like that. So I'm not too worried about it at all, about it, because I know that it's going to balance out in the end. And chances are, it was already there to begin with, so it's not like anything's really changing. So the final thing we have to do is just cover it up. This is crazy how easy this is because I didn't need a wheelbarrow. I didn't need to do anything. I just pulled it off, chopped it up, threw it back in, and it's done. So now all of those nutrients that were taken from the soil that was put into those plants, all the leaves, the roots, the stems, everything like that, any, you know, any flowers, immature fruit, anything like that that didn't get harvested and taken out of the garden, it's all going to get returned back. Now, will I have a complete closed-loop system? No, I won't because I did harvest things like zucchini, so those are in my belly. And because of that, I am going to have to return some nutrients back to the garden, but I'm, have to, I'm going to have to return far less than I would have to had I just taken all of this and thrown it out at the road or composted it somewhere else and used the compost in another bed, right? Also, what I'm returning to this bed is soil, right? I'm re-amending this garden with more soil so that I don't have to fill up with as much compost in the spring. And that is a lot of work. So it also saves a ton of work as well. And the final thing is it's feeding those beneficial, uh, those beneficial insects and beneficial bacteria in our garden right in the bed where I want them. So it's keeping them alive, giving them some food, 
for them to, uh, to feed on throughout winter. So there's a lot of benefits to this. I highly recommend trying it. It is awesome, and uh, you really can't go wrong. So uh, try this with anything as well. I know you're probably going to be asking, is there something I shouldn't do this with? Not really. Do it with corn. Do it with squash. Do it with tomatoes. Do it with absolutely anything that's a pain in the butt to have to carry over and compost. Now, would I do this with things like grass clippings? No, nah, I really wouldn't. I would definitely compost those. Would I do it with things like mulched up leaves? I might, I might consider, but those are also just as good in a compost pile because they can break down a lot faster when blended up with things like grass clippings and other uh, high nitrogen containing ingredients. So I may or may not do that uh, in this bed, but it's a wonderful composting method, one that I just wanted to share with you guys. So hopefully you found it enjoyable. Hopefully you all learned something new. If you did, make sure to hit that like button. Subscribe if you haven't already, and we'll catch you all on the next episode. All right, grow bigger. Take care, bye. I want to tell everyone about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal. Flip-flops are the most worn shoe. Even in America, almost everyone wears cheap flip-flops during the summer, sometimes even all year long. It's because they don't want to wear shoes, but there is 60 years of social stigma to overcome. Most people think it is illegal to drive a car, go to a store, or eat in public without shoes on. The fact is, there are zero laws, health department stuff, insurance regulations, etc. about going barefoot. Not only that, it is actually safer and more healthy to go barefoot than wear most shoes that we have been wearing for the last half century. Please check out the website barefootislegal.org and check out all of our social media. Going barefoot is safe, healthy, and legal. Barefootislegal.org Do you love the outdoors? Do you want to help make a difference for the planet? Then get involved in Collectively Rewilding. Collectively Rewilding is a movement to restore degraded ecosystems and reinvigorate sustainable traditions almost lost by working together. It's based on the idea that we can achieve more by working together than we can by working alone. Sharing the skill sets we have built over the years with each other and providing the community support we all need when there is so much work to be done in finding a sustainable future. To join our community here in Collectively Rewilding, go to www.collectivelyrewilding.com. Let's bring nature back into our lives in a community built for the wild in all of us. All right, everybody. I think that was an excellent overview of a very complex topic, as Misty said. It really does involve so many parts of our lives, our environment, our community, when we talk about our health. Really great piece that she put together there for us. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate the work that she did within my own internal biome. When we talk about biomes, naturally leans into so many of the things that we've talked about here in Collectively Rewilding. And the more that we can return to a natural interaction with ourselves, with our environment, and with our communities, the more I think we will find that internal health. It is a big part of what we're wanting to accomplish with, yes, it is in its own way, an ideology, collectively rewilding. 
gosh, there was something there that I wanted to tie back in, and I've lost it now while I was listening to the commercials. But it does really all tie in together. And so with that first little clip I played for you from M.I. Gardner, I actually read an article about this trench gardening. And I don't know if that's the exact culture and location of the planet. It was in South America. And these geologists and uh, archaeologists, biologists did these remote sessions. I believe it was one that involved the drones where they're looking from above to see patterns. And they had these radiating circles. And it turned out that they were this same style of trench gardening that had been employed from villages, collections of people, grouped together, whatever they termed themselves, however large they may have gotten. There was some variations within that. And radiating out, radiating out from these communities were these trenches where they had taken their food scraps and their waste and uh, maybe trees that they had cleared from their spaces and as M.I. Gardner talked about, broken up a little bit, maybe more, maybe less. It's a lot harder for us to determine after such a long period of time. And of course, that brings to mind the Hugel Couture, which is a similar style of soil structure where you put things like small logs and things within your soil that will create aeration as it's uh, biodegrading and decomposing as well as the nutrients. It's just this beautiful, very natural based type of composting when it comes right down to it. Yes, Hugel Couture will also involve some soil and some soil covering, whereas M.I. Gardner doesn't really touch on that a lot. It is something I have thought about quite frequently, and I do believe that they probably did cover up what they were composting at that time in their radiating trenches, in part just to keep from having it preyed upon by other creatures in their environment. Uh, it also provides that structure to the soil, protecting the things not only from other creatures, but from the elements and weatherization itself, keeping those elements together into that trench gardening style. Really, really interesting how they can still see these radiating circles and the incredibly rich soil that was generated they call dark earth. Beautiful, beautiful system. All right, we had a whole show planned, but we only have about an hour left. I think we'll save the rest of today's planned show, move that on into next week, and just talk a little bit about some of the things that came up, at least for me, during Misty's talk. First and foremost, it really does, to me, create an analogy for everything that we've talked about, everything that we're doing within Collectively Rewilding. It is the most base point for each of us as individuals, our internal health, that gut biome. And one of the things that I'm working on specifically for that right now is healing my 
mouth biome, which we did talk about just a little bit in touching there. I definitely have some problems with my teeth. I've always brushed well, but I didn't floss well. And I drink a ton of soda, eat quite a bit of acidic foods. I really love Mexican food, and I love anything with lemon in it. Uh, not so much sweets, but savories. I love clam chowder with lemon. I add lemon to my salsa. I add lemon to my pho. It doesn't matter. If I can find a way to add some lemon, I'm probably going to do it. And again, that's acid um, introduced into your mouth biome. Well, if your mouth biome were healthy, having those natural acids in there probably wouldn't be any kind of detriment. But when I do drink so much soda, when I smoke cigarettes, when I eat these processed foods, you know, I'm not making that clam chowder from scratch. I'm not making that salsa from scratch. So that is a mechanized, modern, processed, canned item that I'm eating that changes your mouth biome. The toothpaste that we so commonly use, and I was using a more, uh, as we should say, so-called natural toothpaste. It still had something in it called Zeratol, and I'm probably butchering that in pronunciation. It's something like uh, X-E-R-I-T-Y-O-L, something very strange. One of those words we really can't pronounce and don't understand what it is without some heavier digging. That's apparently a sweetener that's used in toothpaste, and it kills the good bacteria in your mouth. Yes, it does kill the bad bacteria as well, but killing off all the bacteria is really worse than leaving that bad bacteria in the first place. You're really wanting to do things that are going to encourage and broaden the spectrum of your good mouth bacteria, which will naturally start to uh, moderate and reduce the bad bacteria, as M.I. Gardner mentioned. That's why so many of these philosophies tie back to each other. M.I. Gardner mentioned that there were going to be both bad and good bugs and fungi and all of these different pieces in a natural biome. That is your body as well, your mouth being the, the specific area we're speaking of. So you don't want no bad bacteria. You want to have a balance, a healthy balance, of both good and bad bacteria. Yes, in a healthy mouth biome, you probably do see a stronger presence of the healthy bacteria. However, you're still going to find some of what we call bad bacteria. It's really bad when it becomes imbalanced. Your bacteria that is healthy, that we call healthy, needs to interact with the less desirable flora and fauna of our internal biomes just as much in order to remain its uh, strongest component, right? That's something that we see in a, in a comparable analogy in the bubble person syndrome where you have to be in this protected bubble. Uh, many times they'll find that that's because so many of the natural allergens and dust and, yes, dirt have been eliminated from a person's life to the point that their immune system is no longer able to act appropriately in a natural environment. Our culture, our practices today, our thought processes, our patterns, they all tend to pull us out of our natural systems. 
don't get me started on daylight savings time. Not to mention that we are taught from the cradle to go against our circadian rhythms, those natural diurnal patterns that we have. Because, yes, we are diurnal or daytime creatures. We do not have the special adaptations of, say, a cat with their extraordinary night vision, their ability to be extremely quiet. They can interact in a silent world. That's your nighttime world. There are adaptations there. We can practice that being soft-footed all we want. We're never going to reach a cat's level of proficiency with that. We can have uh, stronger or poorer night vision as an individual human we're still never going to be able to have the adaptation with our pupils that a cat has and that other nocturnal or at least partially nocturnal creatures have created within their family, their genus, their species, depending on what type of a, an adaptation you're talking about. I've been reading a lot of articles about all of that as well. It's just so fascinating. I think I read the article about sclera. Uh, that's the white part of your eye. We're talking about a pupil. Well, I'm studying this more and more, just looking into this thought process. They believe that it is possible that it is the white portion of our eyes that allow us to work so well with the canine species. Because when you take uh, into consideration another primate, chimpanzee, gorilla, ape, it really doesn't matter. They don't have that white sclera. They have a solid color to their eye. There's no distinction between iris, pupil, and that outer sclera. It makes it very difficult for you to understand where they're looking. They may be facing you, but they may be looking to the right or left. You really don't know with any absolute certainty. When there's a sclera and a pupil, a distinction with the iris, we can see not only the direction of their body and their face, but the actual direction of their eye. And it helps predators to communicate, which does tend to show you that yes, no matter your stance on what foods we intake, our natural, um, I think it would be family genus. It's one of the lower branches, right? We are predators. We have the not only small adaptations to our teeth, which allow us to eat meat and show that predatory nature within the human species. We also have these distinctified eye pieces. Very interesting. And that because of that, because a dog can see which direction we're looking, it helps us to become a somewhat symbiotic relationship with our domesticated animals, not only the canine species, of course, the, it's something like domesticata uh, caninus or something, right? I certainly have no Latin. Uh, our domesticated cats, cattle, sheep. Sheep were actually some of the first domesticated animals. And there is a species of weird turkey chicken-like thing in, I believe it's in, um, oh my goodness, I want to say the Tasmanian devil. So um, New Zealand, right? And this bird is very interesting looking and it's been domesticated for just a tremendous 
awfully long time. I believe it was before any sort of uh, chicken was domesticated. Well, when we have these symbiotic relationships, they think that that's part of the reason why our branch of homo, uh, I don't know how, how you say this, right? The, the, the species or branch that is homo to have survived now as homo sapiens sapien beyond homo erectus, um, homo epithecus, homo australia. Uh, there's a different variant variation you're supposed to say of the, the Australia um, word. I can't remember it exactly, but all of these other species of people, um, people, homo creatures, they're talking about the Denisovans quite regularly and the Forensis, and I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering that one. They think that it's possible there are still living today Possibly this people, this Ferencius, that we had considered an extinct species of homo creature. Just fascinating stuff out there. Um, also, the different percentages of Neanderthal and Denisovan that different segments of our global population represent. And the fact that our Denisovan uh, ancestors probably gave us the ability to survive in colder weather. Well, along with all of these adaptations, going back to that sclera and canines, that is one of the reasons that Homo sapiens sapiens lived through the last little ice age. Uh, they also think that it's possible that, and I can't remember if it was the Denisovans or the Neanderthals or both, as they were both colder weather uh, species, that they may have been trapped and cut off by that little ice age there, in fact, eliminating their ability to uh, hunt and gather the necessary things that they were needing to keep going to survive. Um, they think that the canine symbiotic relationship that they have had for, that our species has had for really an extraordinarily long proven timeline thousands and thousands and dozens and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years, that they can prove that we have coexisted with canines, that may have been a big determinant in why we survived that very intense period. And of course, that's a hopeful sign for our upcoming intensity that we continue to decide as uh, industrialized nations, really. It's not the, the so-called third world nations that are doing this devastating things, right? We want to talk about these third world nations almost in a derogatory or demeaning tone. And in all reality, to me, they seem the most balanced, the most healthy, the most uh, naturally interacting societies within our global culture, right? I think that we need to flip the switch and redefine or maybe more honestly define some of these words that we use, such as civilization. Civilization implies improvement and a betterment of a culture. And I believe that this so-called civilized behavior that we continue to intensify throughout time is actually a very ugly practice. It's ugly against people. It's ugly against the world. And it's ugly against ourselves 
it's ugly in an, in an ideological sense of thinking of superiority, right? We're trying so hard as a global community to move away from any ideologies that imply superiority simply by existing as this, whether it's race, sex, uh, sexual orientation, any of these divisive barriers that have been placed for us. We as the lay people, I certainly include myself into that most sturdy and um, necessary echelon of our global community. I am a, a commoner, a peasant, a lay person. I don't care what terminology one wants to use. Those are the people that make the world as a human concept go round, right? Um, the Plato's Republic, which was what um, Alexander the Great based a good portion of his ruling philosophy and especially a certain city uh, or region within his empire was ran based on Plato's Republic. And even things such as doctors were grouped into the bottom most rung or supporting ladder, again, moving away from that superiority terminology, all elements of the world are necessary from the uh, so-called disgusting molds and uh, bacteria to the beautifully complex system of the beehive and the uh, aspen groves that are one complex creature, right? It's all important. And we should redetermine and redefine for ourselves what is valuable in our society. Go back to a more natural hierarchy. Is it more important that someone knows what and how to run with a football? Or is it more important that someone knows how and what to do to provide food for their community, meaning a farmer as opposed to a football player, right? And that really doesn't matter if you're talking a football or a soccer ball. We have our perspectives out of sync. Having those out of sync perspectives is what then drives our internal imbalances, whether you're talking about something like bipolar that I've had to deal with since I was in my preteens, or you're talking about allergens, or you're talking about chronic gut imbalance. All of these things are connected. We have our perspectives out of line. We have our daily patterns out of line. We have our community and connections with environment out of line, out of sync out of time with nature and we'll see more and more deterioration environmentally and internally if we don't start making the choices that are there for us. We have to fight to, to utilize those choices sometimes. Not only maybe laws, but also that overarching culture that tells us natural patterns of behavior are incorrect. We don't make time for exercise. The foods that are generally what we're going to be intaking are not going to be closer to their natural element, whether they're canned or deep fried 
or candied, all of these things, the more you process the food, and I'm talking from cutting it up, that is processing a tomato. That is the beginning stages of processing a tomato, cutting it up. Going beyond about that level, even to cooking, changes and processes that food. Some of those will do less. Some of them will actually create benefit. Some of them are further from nature, and some of them are actively damaging, such as especially deep-fried foods. When we start, as a culture, taking back, like uh, Danielle says in Seeds of Change here on Freedomizer Radio, taking back our news, food, and health, each of us doing that in our own spheres, in our own footsteps, is how we change the world collectively. We are all individual. We all have something to contribute, and we all have so much that we can learn from others. And coming together in one spot to collectively return to a more natural state of being is something that we've seen as a trend since the late 1800s, probably about when we already were just beginning to really lose it in that industrializing period. People already felt the disconnect. People already were seeking a return before the automobile, before the light bulb, before the uh, telegraph, or uh, let's see what's an even more modern and yet ancient technology that would be a good example. Well, my goodness, I mean, they had submarines during the Civil War, right? All of that is a separation. We've created submarines to do something that there's a people's in, I believe it was uh, Thailand, maybe the Philippines. I am so horrible with geography. Up in that general quadrant area of the globe anyway, these very neat peoples, and I won't even try to pronounce the word, but it's like B-A-N-J-O-U, something comparable to that. They have spent so much time as a culture, as a people in the water that they have grown their ability to be submerged and they have enlarged their spleens as a people in a similar fashion, things like sea lions and seals and other uh, mammalian water creatures have an enlarged Lean. And that's one of the things that they believe these folks have adapted in order to be able to better interact with their environment. Rather than separating themselves from their environment, their selected area of inhabiting, they became themselves more adapted to do what they wanted to as people. That, that is beautiful. That is something that I would want to strive for as a global ideology, changing our biomes in a natural rhythm with our environment to be more adapted to what is, rather than so heavily modifying it to have it be what we say. Because as we've seen over and over, when we tell nature what's going to happen, even if we manage to create the outcome we want for a short period of time, we end up with things like the Dust Bowl, the ravaging 
damages that the uh, tsunamis have done over in Thailand and the island nations, that is a lack of their coastal trees, which was a protection from that style of weather. And we've eliminated that. Probably not even mostly the peoples that live amongst those trees, but we, the industrialized nations. And that's why I think that civilization is such an ugly word. It is not civil to destroy the environment that sustains our life. To me, that is not civil. That is not civilized. When we find ways to return to the practices such as the Iroquois, where they did interact with their environment to modify it to a more agreeable structure for themselves, they worked with what already was. They produced blueberry patches and hills by simply putting a natural plant into an area that they knew it would grow in that would benefit them. But that was already a plant that was in that natural biome. All of that, the Celtic viewpoint of interacting within nature, trying not to even disturb the soil because that will cause damage Maybe they didn't look at it the way that we do today. Maybe they looked at it more like that than we could ever know. When we do our mining, we know how much damage that does. We, we've gone ever more sophisticated into our ability to do that damage. That is uncivilized to me. That is not the goal. We want to find ways to interact with our environment that can be sustainable and Many of our ancient peoples, those that we all come from, were very much more in tune with their environment. I believe that the story of Adam and Eve focuses on that, right? We talked about that a little bit, and I think our second show, Adam and Eve is an allegory that talks about how we lost that natural connection with our environment and started instead toiling to produce a specific outcome. Of course, when you're in a region that has suffered a drought or some sort of other natural occurrence that can make it difficult for your food sources to be prolific in that year, in those seasons, and if you don't have stores, when you rely more heavily on that natural system, you're going to be affected. However, with our modern technologies, with our modern structures of transport and communication, we don't have to do this ridiculous California oranges in Florida and Florida oranges in California transport. No, we can save that energy and that um, sharing of food source when there are times of emergency for things like nutrients when we know how amazingly good for us it is to eat things like avocados to utilize coconut oil okay those don't grow everywhere transporting those products distances is worth the use of energy growing in greenhouses that have to have some energy to heat or cool. So 
so that maybe we don't have to transport such a long distance. Maybe we can grow them there. That's also viable uses of modern technology, not wasteful. All of these types of thoughts are where I think that we should go as a global community and we should open up the door to true, honest discussion amongst the lay people, amongst those of us walk in the walk, to put the food on the tables, to put the tables together in the first place, to put the roofs over those tables, to produce the energy that drives the cars, that puts the light on in our homes, the people that look at our health, the people that put out the fires. These are the people that if they stop going to work, nothing can get done. I'm never going to dispute that there are those out there, such as, you know, the egotistical, excellent example of Bill Gates. His brain produced thoughts that created uh, products and uh, activities and interactions that were completely unique and very valuable to our society today. But had he not had someone producing the electricity that powered the systems that he produced, if he did not have someone who was putting food into the grocery stores for him to be able to sustain his life while he engaged in such heavy thought processes, if there wasn't someone maintaining his sewage systems and his home and all of these things, what value would those thoughts have ended up producing? Those of us who put boots to the ground and provide the necessary sustenance that is life, whether it's water, shelter, food, uh, maintenance of our waste, bodily and physical trash, um, our health systems, those are all the things that we all have to have in order to have the larger mechanizations and manufacturing and communication systems, the esoteric talks that we have, the philosophical talks that we have, the drama shows, all of those are external to survival. It is a necessary component of true overall health for us to explore our spirit, our artistic leanings, our sentience with our more deep thought type explorations. But we can't do those if we aren't warm or cool, dry, fed, and safe. Those larger activities that we really think of as being sentient or human have to come after the base levels of survival. And that's what you and I here on the ground, that's what we all do. So if we all take back, as Danielle says, for seeds of change, our news, food, and health, every step that we take back of that, every time we manage to grow something, even to an herbal windowsill garden, we're taking back a part of ourselves, a part of our environment, and a part of our own individual freedom and sovereignty.
when you rely so heavily on systems outside of your own ability to even uh, maintain. We all can't maintain the roads. We all can't maintain the electrical grid. We all can't maintain the health network. Those require millions of people. And we're so dependent. We don't understand what it is to create clothing, what it is to create a domicile that could actually sustainably be kept cool and warm. Our homes today, if our energy grids fall offline, are almost impossible to keep at least cool. Yes, if you can produce enough to burn, you can generally keep a home warm. But they are such poorly constructed buildings generally these days in terms of retention of the desirable temperatures for our species to survive in. Buildings used to do a lot of that on their own, and we do not build them that way any longer. And that takes excessive energy to heat and cool. Everything that we do as industrialized nations is probably based in an unsustainable philosophy, therefore an unnatural system. Therefore, again, trying to say that we are superior to nature, but we are nature. When we deny nature, we deny ourselves. When we deny nature, we're going to have physical symptoms that are going to continue to get more and more pronounced and more and more debilitating because we are so focused on removing ourselves from what is health, natural of existence. All right, everybody, let's take another little break here and listen to Dying with Onions by Wildcraft Dying. Today, we're going to be dying with both golden and red onions, and we're going to show you the steps to take to get different colors from both. So I have been dyeing with golden onion for many, many years now, uh, but I haven't done a lot with the purple onion skins. So I wanted to do a video showing an experiment you could run using both of those onion skins to really dial in what the color difference is. On our experiment, we're going to take skins from both the golden and the red onion. We're going to put them in glass jars in the same pot, heat them at the same time. We're going to dye the same kind of yarn into both of them. And then we're going to see exactly the colors that we can get. And then you'll be able to take both of those forward. So as with any experiment, you want to control as many factors as you can. So we are going to be setting up two jars at the same time, one that is going to have our golden onion skins and the other one that is going to have the red or purple onion skins. It's going to have the same weight in both. The yarn itself is going to be identical. It was mordanted in the same way at the same time for a more in-depth conversation on mordanting, check out the video I did on acorns. I'll put a link below. The important thing to know is that there's two skeins. The white skeins are pre-mordanted with alum, and the tan one has been pre-mordanted with iron. The iron one should give us, in both cases, a much darker color. But as you can see, we're setting up jars to be as identical as possible. So the first thing that we need to determine is the weight of wool 
that is going to be going into each of the jars. I decided in the end to add a couple more of the alamordanted skeins, and so each of these comes out to about 60 grams. Now, sometimes you want to dial in the exact amount of dye material to wool or fiber. Sometimes it's 100%, sometimes it's 1,000%. In this case, I wanted to get yellows, um, so I did 50%. So there's 60 grams of wool, so I'm looking to weigh out 30 grams of each of the skins. So here we are with the golden. As you can see, it's dried. It's already been chopped up in a big bowl. And now I'm going to add 30 grams of that into one jar. So you might be wondering how I came up with 50%. I know from experience dyeing with onion skins, if I do 100% weight of fiber, that's say one pound of skins for one pound of fiber, it's going to overshoot yellow. I'm going to get into much more of a brown. I really didn't want that this time. I wanted to do a yellow. Now, you can take your onion skins and add them straight into your jar or your dye pot. I add an extra step, which is this paint bag. They're really inexpensive. You get them at the paint store. You can reuse them. And by adding this and then putting the bag into the jar or the dye pot, um, it allows me to, once this, the onion skin has been simmered, to just remove it. Leaving behind the concentrated dye pot uh, and now I don't have to worry about the skin and the fiber getting tangled up together. Now I'm going over to the red or purple onion skin. And again, I'm just going to weigh out another 30 grams. I'm going to get another bag. Um, as you can see, this size, this is the smaller size. This is the one-gallon size. They also come up into a five-gallon size, which is great for a lot of stew pot size, which is the next sort of size up or the, the size of pot you're going to see in this video that I'm going to use to hold the jars. So again, I'm just looking for 30 grams of this dried purple onion skin. I can also mention a great trick that I use at the grocery store with onion skins is I collect a whole bunch of skins right at the grocery store, and then I just put one onion in. I can tell you that one onion is worth about 26 cents. So it's a really great way to get a big bag of dried onion skins. So that's kind of what I use. Uh, it takes me a few trips, but and I've also started using a lot more onions in my cooking. And now we're ready for some water. So this is my dye pot. Um, and instead of dyeing uh, in it directly, I'm going to dye in it indirectly using more of a double boiler method process, which is we're going to put two jars in um, with the bags and the onion skins. Um, and doing it this way, we're going to simmer this on the stove for about one hour. You don't want to boil the skins. You want to simmer. So it's usually about 80 degrees, which is roughly about 155, 156 Fahrenheit. Um, here we're adding water, or I'm adding water into the jars itself. Obviously, then I'm going to add water to the pot, and then I'm going to take it back over to the stove. Now, back over to the stove we go. At this point, we're going to turn the heat on, and I'm going to raise that temperature until the water gets to about 80 degrees Celsius or about 160 degrees Fahrenheit, um, giving them a little bit of a stir. Because of the double boiler setup, even if the water within the pot starts to boil, the water in the jars doesn't. It stays at that simmer. And now back to the sink. Uh, while our onion skins are starting to heat up on the stove, it's a perfect time to soak our fiber. Whenever you're adding fiber into a dye pot, you want to make sure you soak it in water ahead of time. And that just allows your fiber to sink more evenly into the pot. Now, I tend to separate my alum mordant skeins, that's the one on the left, 
from the iron morning tint, which is the darker one on the right. And the reason is, as you'll see at the end, if you pre-morn with iron, um, it just ends up getting it, it ends up getting so much darker um, that if you soak it all together, you risk some of that iron leaving the iron morning tint wool. Um, attaching to the alum warranted and kind of getting some contamination or some dark speckling. Um, in this case, I wanted to have separate results, so I made sure to soak them separately. Um, and here I will be soaking them in warm water uh, for about 20 minutes, trying to replace all of those little air bubbles with the water. And now back to the stove. At this stage, we have simmered our onion. For that hour and we're having a look at it and it's looking great i'm noticing that the onion skins instead of floating at the top are starting to sink down into the pot which is what exactly what we want to see and now what we can do is lift that bag with the onion skins right out and you can see the great aspect of these bags which is how easy it is just to have your pots ready to go um i used to sure to do this the whole decanting process through a filter and I'm not sure given all of that up and now I just do this and then once those bags are cool I just put them straight into the composter so that's the great part of natural dyeing is uh, being able to put things right into the composter so now our dye pots are ready to go we've got that fiber soaking and I'm going to bring it back over into the pots and start adding them in and we're going to add the same amount of fiber to each side so here we go here's the iron going in as step one and then I'm going to add in the alum right afterwards and you see because it's been pre-soaked it just sinks right in it's not floating at the top you're not having to fight with it uh, soaking it is such an important part of the whole process um, and now here I'll come along and I'm going to add the alum mordanton skeins here we go um, and those will go in and you can see that onion it almost looks like it's going to go purple but it actually doesn't that's the interesting thing about it so at this stage, we're just going to keep adding the fiber to the pot. Um, I think in each of the sides, there's going to be about six of these 10-gram things, which is enough in these one-gallon jars for them to still move freely and give even results. So, wow, once I finish... I'm going to stop that there. I'm not really sure what was going on. It certainly wasn't feedback from my side. I didn't notice that when I was watching the video, so I'm going to have to ask someone who's a little more knowledgeable about this whole system why that feedback was coming in. Um, I double-checked everything. wasn't on this side, so I'm not really sure what was going on. Really great information, though, there. Um, dying can be intimidating because it's such an involved process. When she breaks the steps down like that and shows you things that you can do at the same time, it really kind of helps to take away some of that intimidating quality. So great information from uh, Wildcraft Dying. Not exactly sure why that didn't work properly. All right, everybody. We've got about 24 minutes left, and we're really just going to kind of tie it all in together. The fact that we're working towards coming together as a group, to regain these natural processes, collectively rewilding, and Missy Folds from iEnergyWorks.com was here with us today talking about how we can look at our own individual selves to start that healing process, how it doesn't have to be outside of our homes, how we can start approaching that ourselves. 
She talks about a multitude of different practitioners that she's utilized their methods over her journey. Um, one of them is a practitioner that I am familiar with as well, Dr. Terry Wall from the Walls Protocol. She is tremendous. She has changed the field of medicine because she was able to so completely prove that her processes that didn't involve pills and chemicals and radiation could produce the desired results with her health. They weren't able to deny her scientifically proven methods. And they've had to allow a lot more holistic ideology into the field of medicine because of this pioneering work that she did with the Walls Protocol. She has MS as well, and her journey is just amazing. Anybody that's interested in reclaiming their health should check out what she accomplished. She is a living, walking, historical miracle. The level of MS that she had progressed to and how far she has come back into remission is unheard of in our recorded history as human beings. Really amazing. Another practitioner that is doctorate level, not a medical doctor, not an MD, is Nicole Appelaine. And I follow her extensively as well. She foraged to find the nutrients for her MS to come back from a very intense sickness within herself. And she teaches people how to safely forage and what to do with those results in order to bring back a natural system within their health, their bodies, their biomes. She has a couple of others that I'm not as familiar with. Uh, I can't remember the name, but one of the uh, practitioners introduced the GAP diet, which many of us have heard of. And apparently that is based a lot in soups as a beginning point. And it's very interesting. My family has worked with the Walls Protocol for nearly a decade now. It's something that I discovered right in the initials before Dr. Terry Walls' first book had been printed. I actually ordered it prior to being released. So I've been there the whole uh, public journey for this protocol, and that's because my husband probably has MS as well. Like Misty Folds talked about, she doesn't really seek that diagnosis that can limit our ability to heal ourselves. Those words are scary, and we're taught to fear our bodies more than to know our bodies. And so I learned about this protocol, and since implementing the Walls Protocol, we got to parts of the second stage. There are three stages within the WALS protocol. We had pretty well established the first stage and implemented some of the second stage at our strongest period of utilizing the WALS protocol. It brought my husband back into remission with his MS, and he has not gone back into the level of symptomology that he really considers active MS problems. So even though we no longer are at that level of practicing the Walls Protocol, we still do partake of a large portion of its 
ideology, and it is still keeping him into remission. Simply amazing, amazing things that we can do ourselves. We didn't have to pay a doctor for that. We didn't have to move. We didn't have to do anything other than look at the way we eat and prepare food, eliminate the grains and dairies as much as possible, eat a lot of vegetables and a good amount of meat, and it completely changed the way my husband's body felt within his probable MS. Simply amazing, amazing stuff. All right, everybody. Next week, what we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about the things that I'm trying to work on in the garden. Being sick and then getting ready to move unexpectedly have really set me back with my gardening steps. I really hope I'm able to do some of this before the true cold sets in. We've had a couple light snows here in the Utah Salt Lake Valley area. A little bit of snow on the ground right now, but it's pretty much melting as it goes down. So hopefully I will still be able to follow through with measuring the garden in full, doing a little bit of pH testing, probably not nearly the amount that I had hoped for, and then taking that and starting to do next year's garden planning. That's something that we can do right now to still be actively engaged in that outdoor world. One of the heavy steps that I'm going to take within my garden planning is going to be that of pollinator planning. I'm really excited about furthering the offerings within this little plot of land I get to be responsible for, furthering the offerings for the pollinator uh, communities within my biome. Everybody has a different set of pollinators. Most of us think honeybee. And of course, they are such a huge portion of the pollinator community now, pretty much everywhere on every continent outside of Antarctica, even though originally they were more on the Eurasian continent. And we neglect the other pollinators that are out there. Butterflies are pollinators, wasps, yellow jackets, hornets, native bees. When we think bee, we think honeybee, but there are so many native pollinators in every region, and those are very broad and distinct within each of those regions and very little known. Most people think of many of these creatures as pests, and because we have decided that these uh, neighbors of all of our communities are pests, we've really decimated their populations. So the more we can include pollinator planning in any sort of landscaping that we're doing, the better off our pollinator populations are going to be. And they're really struggling right now as we're pretty well aware as a global community. Australia was the last inhabited continent that finally exceeded and they cannot stop the Varroa mite, which is a little bitty creature that attacks um, probably a multitude of other creatures, but specifically the honeybee. The Russian honeybee, I believe, has some resistance to the honeybee. But if there are a lot of other honeybees in any region where the Russian honeybee is introduced, when it does interact with those other honeybees and have hybridization, they lose some of that ability to fight off the varroa mite. Still, a very positive characteristic of that particular 
subset of our pollinators. I'm also going to be going over my seed inventory. I have collected seeds all of my life, and of course we know that some seeds expire. I don't know that it's as bad as they tell us, just where we now see best by date, we no longer see expired because they exaggerated and uh, protected themselves legally so heavily we were wasting foods that were still good. And we're learning that we need to look into that a little bit. And I like to use the Anasazi bean as an example. Now, of course, that's a very hardy seed, all right? A bean has uh, an extreme seed-protecting cover when it's dry. So it is going to last a lot better than something like a lettuce seed or a uh, marigold seed, okay? But these beans, with no special sorts of storage protection, were able to bring back the Anasazi bean from probably, you know, a thousand years or more. I'd have to go in and look at it. These were not something that, you know, were utilized during the Spanish conquistadors time. They didn't save those seeds and start utilizing it. These strains of plants had pretty well disappeared because they were a domesticated plant. They didn't survive beyond their use by their society. Some of the uh, maize that's out there today, when you see the, um, I believe it's Anasazi maize as well, there's the uh, different colors that you can produce. And one of those will be from that same area. You have the rainbow corn, that's an example. That was kind of slowly fading out of existence and a gentleman somewhere over on the eastern half of our country is bringing it back. I have several packages of those as well. They're glorious to behold. Gem corn, jewel corn, it is purples and yellows and greens and blues and reds. It's just tremendous and exactly as it's labeled, literally looks like some sort of a gem when it's dried, especially it's translucent with these various hues. It's absolutely beautiful. And about the 1900s, there were so many varieties of everything from tomatoes and Brussels sprouts to different sorts of sheep. There are actually heirloom varieties of domesticated animals that are slowly fading out. And there are people all over the world that are doing their best to make sure that these species of chicken and sheep don't fade away from our world. Really interesting stuff out there. All right, everybody. The last little bit that we're going to go over uh, next week will be storing and preparing your harvest. You don't want to go to all that work and all that enjoyment and then waste the results or produce from your harvest, right? And there are a lot of different techniques that can really help to uh, lengthen how long your produce can last after you harvest it. And then finally, we're going to go into the trees, shrubs, and bushes of the American regions and how to maintain those. That will probably be a very large portion of our show as I really want to give a good overview of all of the different types 
of trees, shrubs, and bushes that can be grown throughout our nation, we really neglect that level of our natural canopies. So many people look at scaping as a convenience, as an aesthetic piece, not a natural part of the environment, not arable land for food production. It doesn't even have to be food production for the family or person living in that specific location. If you don't have interest in having a traditional garden, you can landscape for the other creatures in your region. And it can be so beautiful and so, so easily maintained. It's actually one of the lower um, energy-intensive forms of gardening that are out there to return to a more natural landscape. And one of the things that we neglect a lot of times in our landscaping is the higher reaches of that canopy. Your canopy starts really in your soil and the structures and nutrients that are going on there into your ground cover, then into your low-lying perennials and annuals, into your grasses, into your tall grasses, your bushes, your tall cacti, your trees, all of these pieces. They're all a part of a naturally functioning system. And if all you have are ground covers or grass, things of that nature, and maybe some few mid to low perennials, annuals, and things of that nature, your biome is not going to be as healthy as it should be. And we've talked about that a little bit in these root mass studies that they did and things of those nature. When you neglect really looking at what an overall system of nature is and the structures and heights within those natural plant systems, you actually miss an entire piece of making that healthy natural biome that you're working towards. And so we want to go a little bit over all of that, all of the different uh, native trees that go with these regions and getting a little bit into some of those things such as the cacti from the south western region primarily of our country a little bit up into the midwestern areas of the country and talk about how You can introduce those into your landscaping and what roles they play, why they're important, how to maintain them once you have them planted. All of that will be what we talk about next week. Some really excellent material. And let's go ahead and close out with this piece. We'll miss just a little bit of it there at the end, but of the new dam that Gerard Kenyatta Hay, greening the West Texas desert, is doing out there in his off-grid living situation. All right. How I triage things out oh here. Oh, my God. Is I determine, again, look at what the priority is and what is the weather doing. The weather is the boss out here. If you look at the sky, it's going to rain. <laughs> According to the news, it's not going to rain. 
but out here there is no weather. There is no way you can track the radar, but you're not going to find. You're not going to have any idea what's going to happen until you live out here. Once again, I chose this property because it's in a higher elevation. I suspect it would rain more out here than anywhere else in the area because a, a change in elevation does something to the clouds up or down with pressure, something like that. I'm not a meteorologist, but I once heard that, and that actually makes good sense. Um, say hi to the broken wind turbine. Hey, broken wind turbine. Keep spinning. Thank you, man. Thank you for your service. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely going to rain. New says no. Definitely going to rain. So rain coming. Uh, priority drop from the electric fence. So I'm not putting up the electric fence today. We're working on it. It is. You get the giant bobcat. Which is a toy. Um, so. <laughs> what we're going to do. Is we got to keep working on this dam. Dam this water up that comes down this little baby arroyo and use that water to pump to the pond so I can stop hauling water, which is a great thing. I'm almost there. We're uh, a good uh, 80% done. Yay, run down the hill. Don't die. Uh, and so here's the arroyo right here. This is just the hill runoff. There's not much water that comes off of here. The big runoff is the plateau. When the plat when the water when it rains up there, the big arroyo, which is in the distance, just totally fills up and it's amazing. This is usually just a trickle. On a bad storm, it can get interesting. So the whole goal is to pile up water back here behind the greenhouse. And as it fills up, pump that water to another pond. And if I back up, I can kind of give you a view of how far across the arroyo it is. And we're about 75% uh, of the way across. So I just need to bridge that gap, do, do the overrun or the spillway, which is all concrete. And then I'll have to come back in here and clean up these rocks. If I want to seal this one, I think I do want to seal this one, mostly. Uh, no, actually, I do want to seal this one. I got to move all those rocks out the way. That's by hand work. We don't have heavy equipment. We just got the little bobcat and the backhoe. Uh, for some of the big ones, like maybe that one I'll, I'll need to I'll use the Bobcat for. The rest of them I can handle. It's not a big deal. But once again, like I said, out here, put your little macho crap away. you got to know your limits. You hurt yourself, you're in big trouble. And that one I'm not going to mess with. The rest I know I can finagle and get out the way. And then come back and level it a little bit, seal it with some bentonite clay. And we have a little pond, maybe build a little deck or something that comes off the back of the greenhouse back over here. So anyway, today is waterworks because it's going to rain. It's definitely going to rain. It rained this morning, which, you know, it's funny. People, they don't believe me, and I tell them it rained. Um, sort of El Nino or crazy stuff, it rains every day out here. It rained this morning. And not like a heavy rain, again, it's just a little drizzle. But every day, water drops out of that big ocean in the sky called clouds. Well, let's get on it. I think I need to check the oil in here. Bobcats are a little loud. I don't know if anyone knows anything about bobcats, but... uh. I opened the chain case, and I believe that someone put uh, transmission fluid in here. This idea. So what I'll do is, um, they want to pull that transmission fluid out and put a heavier oil in there. If you know something about Bobcats, this is an M381. Uh, I appreciate knowing that. But until then, I'm going to check the oil. She's a little loud. Get her going. Finish that dam. I guess I can quickly show you what I was doing. But this is a trail that I come along. Follow the yellow brick road. Follow the yellow brick road. There's one of the dams right there. This one backs up uh, regularly when the hill runoff runs. 
bump it to that pond over there. That pond should overflow to this pond right here, which isn't done, but it's about maybe six or eight times the size of that one. I'm getting down, getting down. I'm probably down about four feet. Uh, keep hitting rocks, so the question is how low can we go? How low can you go? Oh, there's the battery in the uh, jumper cable yesterday because the Bobcat needs a new alternator. Well, it actually needs an alternator. It was taken out. Anyhow, so this is where I work. I come over here, grab dirt from here, drop dirt over there. Also drop dirt over here on this dam right here. So this is another arroyo, another small hill arroyo. So, you know, this dam right here stops all the water right here. That's a check dam my sons did last year, which worked freaking amazingly. But all this water backs up. The sand and rock, as you can see behind the check dam, stays there, the stuff that allows water to drain out. The muddy water, which has the clay and the silt, will backflow, overfill into here, and that'll help seal that pond. So anyway, this is Gerard. The name of this video is just, I don't know. I wake up in the morning, I figure out what I want to do, like being married, then you, your husband and your wife changes that <laughs> for the kids, you know. I love corporate America. People say, oh, well, you don't have a boss anymore. You work for yourself. No. <laughs> you always have a boss. Unfortunately, this is eh, not political. This is slavery plan. You got work to do. You'll always have a slave master. And out here, my slave master is the weather. So, that being the case, let's check the pond real quick. Let's see if she, how much, that being the case, uh, my, my spouse, the weather, is telling me what I need to do. So, it didn't really drain out much. So it was up to this pipe last night, or yesterday, and so it drained out a little bit, or evaporated, because the claw, the shade claws right there is in the pond, which is not how that's supposed to work, but <laughs> you're one person out here, you got to pick and choose your battles, and this is not a battle I'm fighting right now. See all that clay? That's all that good bentonite clay. So I'll pull this out, and ooh, that's stinky, and we'll, uh tie that back up later but it's a cloudy day as you can see so we're not uh not anything to worry about i'll take a quick peek see if the dog dug out more of the pond the clay liner you've been digging over here huh hercules you were a mess and you caused me stress but i do love you to death look at those paws this is gonna be not a too much but so they keep digging that out there, and yep, they dug more than yesterday. So they dug out the bentonite, and now we're down to normal clay. And I put this, these pipes here, this was a uh, hot water heater uh, that I was using in the winter that I ripped apart because I bought a hot water gas heater. Campex, which I'll tell you about later. I'll do that on the uh, equipment review for off-grid. But I've only got about 45 seconds. Um, they keep digging this so. out here. So what I need to do is probably sometime today or tomorrow I'll go get water out the channel all right everybody so we are down to our last little seconds here I hope you all have a fantastic weekend and a wonderful world of nature with whatever you're doing whether you're still able to do gardening or you're finishing up with those final gardening tasks already into the cold and the winter where you don't want to get your hands too deep into that soil. Wherever you are, I hope you're enjoying it, and we'll see you next week. Thank you all for putting up with me being sick.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.